Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest is the author of The Passion of Tasha Darsky and the co-founder of the literary studio Plimpton. She also practices psychotherapy with a particular interest in the transition to parenthood and is working toward her doctorate in clinical psychology. She lives with her son in Berkeley, California, and her new novel, The Possibilities, is out now. Please welcome Yael Goldstein Love. Hey, Yael. How you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, I'm doing fabulous. I'm excited to meet you virtually. Your book was recommended on a recent First Taste reading series to me, and it sounded so good that I went out, got it, read it, and here we are now. Oh, that's nice to hear. Yes, of course. I love I'm very when excited I, to be here. Yes, um, I, I love like discovering new books that weren't on my radar because there are so many books out there. So many books. And your book was a delight. Tell readers who maybe haven't discovered it yet what The Possibilities is all about. Yeah. So The Possibilities is, um, it's when I've started, I've started stealing a line from a, um, from a Goodreads review, which I know you're not supposed to read your Goodreads reviews, hey, yeah. but how do you help? How do you stop yourself? Um, if someone has an idea, I'm, I'm all ears. So I, this one Goodreads review had uh, described it as everything everywhere all at once meets what to expect when you're expecting. And I was like, that is brilliant. Where were you in my marketing meetings? <laughs> um, but Correct, so, and yeah. so, I mean, it's, it's, it's about, uh, it starts with a mother, who, uh, it starts with a birth, a very difficult birth. This mother, Hannah almost loses her son in childbirth. Um, it's actually, it starts with a birth scene that is my birth scene exactly. In fact, I almost lost my son in childbirth. Wow. And then when she brings her child home, she can't quite shake the feeling that, you know, even though everything in the end turned out okay, her son is alive, her son is fine, that it came too close. The bad way things could have gone came too close, and that somehow still poses a danger. And then eight months later, her child actually disappears, and one by one, people start forgetting him. So, like, the cops who respond to the kidnap call all the way down to her to the, the child's father. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's up to her alone to find her child and, and save him which is complicated because it turns out he is lost in a parallel reality. Yeah, it is. I I say things are wild all the time. Like that's just one of my adjectives. Like, oh, that movie was wild. Your book is wild in the best way possible. Um, yes, everything, everywhere, all at once. That that comparison 100% makes sense, uh, both on quality and like plot wise. So uh Good, good reads review. Good for them. That was genius. Good for them. Yeah. Someone should hire really them was. to write for a marketing department. Um, I agree. What part of the possibilities will you be reading for us today? Um, I'm going to read just the very beginning. Love it. Definitely take it away, and I'll be back to ask questions. Uh, I have many. Okay. <laughs> Eight months earlier, that was when the world split. When she was open on the table paralyzed from the waist down when they held her child up for her to see. You, she thought, but the sight of him twisted rigid in a howl that never came cut off the thought Then he was gone. Someone had taken him. Instead of his cry, there was the tinny hospital PA paging one neonatal team and then another. Instead of his cry, 
the voices of competent, confident people creeping toward alarm. A doctor's narrow head was bent in concentration, sewing her back into a body. What's happening, she asked. They're trying, Adam said from somewhere behind. Then he was just above and kissed her forehead. His lips felt dry and chapped. The room was small, too small for all these people. She didn't know the situation, but understood that it was dire. Someone had held her child up, then taken him away, and he hadn't made a sound yet, and the room kept filling with more people. It's cold in here, she said. They need to wrap him. It's warm, Hannibal, said Adam's voice, but not from near her ear where she expected. They've got him warm. Don't worry. They're doing everything correctly. He must have been straining to see, must have been craning. She could hear it in his voice. It was happening near the door, she was almost certain, somewhere past her feet, whatever they were trying. And the door was letting in a draft. She felt it blowing over her. She didn't try to see. She wouldn't have been able to, her view partially blocked by the paper draping meant to shield her from an eyeful of her insides. But also, seeing had never been a part of what they shared, she and this child. In their nine months together, she had only ever seen him for an instant. Tiny body twisted rigid in a silent howl, eyes not yet open. That was seconds ago, or minutes, or hours. And every second without oxygen killed more of him, the tiny brain that had been growing all along inside her, the one she, the one she somehow felt she knew, so much so that the unfamiliar look of him surprised her. The situation seemed to her quite obviously, quite awesomely a bad one, but also somehow muted in the way that time mutes even the worst pain. It felt to her this had been going on for longer than the life she'd lived until now. In the corner of her vision, something moved. She tilted up her chin and caught a blur as it moved past her, held cradled in a nurse's arms, the blue smudged lips, the way one tiny arm trailed as a doll's would, the clipped efficient sorrow in the way the nurse grabbed at the arm and tucked it in, the clipped efficient sorrow of the quiet that descended. Then she was looking at the obstetrician's narrow head still bent behind the curtain, the hair so glossy black it cast its own strange dulled reflection of the overhead fluorescence. Is he okay? She asked. Is he going to be okay? There was no answer. Eight months later, I stood on the top level of an open parking structure, watching fog roll in from the Oakland Hills and longing for a cigarette. Jack was regarding me through heavy eyes. He looked like he could sleep. I smiled at him and then, unable to resist, though I knew it would perk him up and make a car seat nap less likely, I bent and nuzzled the top of his small head. The silky brown waves that tightened into ringlets near the base of his neck smelled of absurdly expensive baby shampoo, mixed with a musk like a cat's just-licked fur. The smell soothed my nerve endings like nicotine. Well, not quite like nicotine. It made no sense to stand outside a car contemplating the view from the top level of an open parking structure. If you weren't smoking a cigarette, but so many of my habits were like this, obsolete cocoons of pre-baby behavior, the butterfly long gone. Get in the car, Hannah, I said out loud, because when the day has already beaten you down before 9 a.m., it's nice to have someone give you clear directions, even if it's yourself. I'll stop there. You mentioned, thank you for reading, first of all, uh, and, and you mentioned that the birth is partially inspired by your birth. You almost lost your son. 
were you when did you start to think I could write about this and turn it into something? Yeah, I mean, there were I think there were several stages to that to that thought. Um, I when I, you know, after my son's birth. I was really I didn't know how to even think about what had happened in a way like I was like, because all that seemed relevant and all the people were telling me is like all's well that ends well. Um, and so I was like, well, why am I, ha- why, why does it feel like I live in two realities at once? You know, why does it feel as though, um, yes, all well, it ends well. And also it feels like this other thing came so close and, and I didn't know how to, how to describe to myself just the difficulty of what I was, I was experiencing. And I also, I think what part of what made, there were many things that made this period very difficult, but one of the things that made this period very difficult was that, you know, what was going on with me psychologically was making it very hard for me to read fiction. And that's all I ever do. Mm -hmm. And it was not until someone had recommended to me uh, Victor Laval's The Changeling during this period. Mm -hmm. And that was the first thing that I could just, I could read it. And it was such a relief. And it made me feel like, oh, um, I what I'm going through, I can make sense of it. It's just that I'm, I've, I've, been exp- I've been thinking about my own internal experience in the wrong genre. My own internal experience is horror. Yeah. And there was, something, there was something about that. I don't know that in that moment, I quite had the idea yet to write about it, but at least like, it, it, gave, me, it gave me the wherewithal to make a narrative to myself about what had gone on. Um, and then I think it was actually eight months late when my son was eight months old and we had moved across the country to a place where I knew nobody. Uh-huh. Um, and I had this like very bad moment. It was my, 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 I we moved across the country for my partner's job. And then it turned out like my partnership with my partner was about, was falling apart. Oh, wow. And so the morning after I learned this, I had to get my son to the pediatrician, um, across the city where I knew I got lost every time I tried to to drive in Washington D.C. So I was like, I got to get the son, this kid to the pediatrician. If I can get him there, I can survive anything. I can get us through this. If I can't, this is the unhealthy part. There's no way I can survive. Like I can't get us through this. We're 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 we're, do- we're doomed. And so I get him to the car, and I realize I've forgotten the car key. And so then I have to wheel him back, and and we have to, I I realize like there's no way to get the car key. He's like in his stroller, all zipped up, very calm. And if I'm going to get the key from like up these many steps to our home, um, I have to take him out of the stroller and there's just like no way. And it feels like this, it felt in that moment, like just this like insoluble problem. It was just like, it was like a paradox almost. Like there was no way to get this car key and get us to the, to the pediatrician's appointment. And if I couldn't do this, then like somehow the whole world would fall apart and I wasn't a good enough mother. And in that moment, I had this thought of like, what if I just leave him on the sidewalk? Like, who's going to steal my baby in like the 35 seconds this takes from like Logan circle. Um, and I didn't do it. I didn't even, you know, I didn't, I didn't actually follow through on this thought, but I had in that moment, this like dark imagining, I imagined turning around, starting to go up the steps, turning back and he's gone. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, what I was imagining is that he disappeared from Washington DC and he, he like reappeared back in California where I was desperate for us both to be. Um, and, and, and as soon as I had that thought, that, that dark imagining, um, I knew that this was the novel I had to write about this experience and that this was sort of my way through the experience of making sense of it. Yeah. And your, your bio on your website says you live with your six-year-old son. So this thought was half a decade ago then. Oh my God. That, I, I had never put, 
together. Yes, it was half a decade ago. Yes. What was the writing process like once you figure, okay, I'm going to do this, et cetera? Like, because five years is pretty normal. I mean, nothing is normal in the literary world, but like for listeners who don't publish, it's like once you sell the book, there's still years before it actually gets published. So, yeah, what was like the initial writing like? Yeah. I mean, the initial writing was, um, it was unlike any other writing experience I've had, actually. It was, because I think in, I mean, first of all, it came out very, very quickly. Mm. There was like a real urgency. Um, I think because this was the first book I wrote. I mean, of course, like whenever I write, I, I think like any writer, you know, we're, we're writing to work something out for ourselves. There's yeah. some question that's urgent that we want to work out in this way, you know, playing with characters or playing with, you know, language um ideas but but often in the past when i'd write you know half of me is trying to urgently work something out and ha- and the, and there's another part of my mind that is so concerned with how this will be received you know like what kind of writer will i be thought of how will people receive this and there was none of that with this book like it just felt like my own personal meaning making project and that i think itself like also just made it so much faster Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote the first draft, um, I think in like about five or six months. Um, and then, and, and, but then there were things about the first draft that really didn't work. Um, and then it, and then I wrote, it, I, so in this draft, it's like, it's very simple. Like the child just disappears. He blinks out of one reality and, 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 um, and she has to sort of go to these other realities to, to find him in the first one. I had him like getting sick and it was like very convoluted and complicated, Um, and so it was like, you know, I feel like often, like for me, the hardest part or like the longest part is like when you have to stop and think and be like, what is the simplest thing here? Like, what is the simple thing I'm not thinking of? Um, and that I think, you know, once, and once I sort of thought of that, I was able to do another really, again, it took maybe like five or six months to do another draft, um, where the plot really actually worked. Um, you know, and then it's like, I mean, I always write, like, I, I don't, I lose track of how to draft, but like, I love to rewrite to me. Like, that's the fun. The fun yeah. is the rewriting. Um, and so, you know, I did a bunch more drafts, um, and then we sold it. Um, it was very easy. That was an easy process. Um, and yeah, I don't I, I, I can't even, I don't even remember what, I think my son was like three or what was four maybe when we sure. sold it. Um, and, and now here we are. Here we are. Um, with your, I like that you said, I don't even know how many drafts I write, which, cause like it, it's, I think a lot of people, myself too, it's like you write a draft that it's a second draft. Sometimes it's like draft 1.1 a one point, you know what I mean? It's just like, yes. you're changing little things as you go, but um, with your first draft in general, do you overwrite or do you underwrite? Like, how do you like to tackle your ideas? Ooh, what a good question. I don't know. Can you define what overwrite and underwrite sure, mean? Sure. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm, I've been talking to a lot of writers and a trend has come out where some people are like, I write the bare minimum. It's just the ideas. I don't have language. I don't have dialogue sometimes. Oh. Or some people overwrite it all and then, you know, 100,000 words to get down to 40,000 or whatever. I definitely overwrite. Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely fall in the overwriting camp. Yeah. I'll have like whole plot lines that I know are probably going to come out, but like somehow, but, it, but sometimes it's like, you know, you have to write that whole plot line, have that whole character for like one line that's going to remain. Yeah. And like, you couldn't have had that line without that whole thing that had to go. Um, for sure, but yeah, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely an overwriter. Yeah. And then are you, is it easy for you to cut and get rid of characters you maybe know aren't working 
but maybe you fell in love with? Is it easy for you to pair back? Yeah, I'm ruthless. I'm yeah. really ruthless. <laughs> I love cutting. Cutting is like my favorite thing. And I'm like, sure. you're gone and you're gone. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I want to shift a little bit and just talk about you. You previously published a book that has two titles. It was published and republished. <laughs> just talk about that process um, with Overture and the passion of Tasha Darsky. Like why the title change, how it was published, how what it's happened? different from the possibilities. Yeah, it's because it's like a different <laughs> lifetime ago, maybe. It, oh, it really is. I mean, I was 27, I think, when I published that book, huh. and I'm 45 now. So it's, um, I actually, I recently tried to reread it, and <laughs> I couldn't. Like, wow. I just like, I feel it's like listening to a recording of yourself, like as a teenager, and you're just like, ah, make it stop. Um, I, there's not much I can say about the, about sure. the title change. It was a bizarre thing that happened. I mean, so it came out in hardcover with the title overture, um, I don't think anyone loved the title. I didn't, it was like the word, like we just couldn't, nobody could think of a good title. And that was like what Doubleday settled on was Overture. And then when um, the paperback publisher, um, I was actually summoned to New York. I was living in Princeton at the time, Princeton, uh -huh. New Jersey. And I was summoned to New York for this meeting with like my paperback publisher, um, which was a Broadway book. So that's what it was. Um, uh -huh. And, and I was like, what is this meeting they're summoning me for? And it, and and the meeting turns out to be that they wanted to change the title, that they felt like the book, it's sort of like that the title overture made it sound like a little too cerebral and heady. And like the book had, a, it was like, a, in some ways it's a very sexy book. Yeah, um, and so right. they wanted to sort of get at the like sexier aspects. They thought it would sell better. Um, I, I, I sort of wish they had, I mean, I think it actually was, in many ways, maybe was a better title. I think that the title change was probably not the best idea because it actually had gotten like really nice reviews. Yeah. Um, with the first, and then like nobody knew it's like, but I'm not like, nobody knows my name. So nobody knows it's the same book or same. So I think it was not, maybe not the smartest move. Um, but who knows, you know, it's like, sure. would it have sold better? With the same? Who knows? Um, the one the one uh, the one downside i know is that every time i have to tell about speak about like my previous books i have to be like but they're the same book yes, <laughs> you know? yes. like don't I'm, I'm not trying to get away with telling you these are i've written more books than i have um it's and 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 that book with, with many titles um is is very different in some ways very very different than the possibilities and that is just like it's straight realism it's straight literary fiction there's no like genre bending anything um, but interestingly, it's also about mothers and daughters, um, hmm. even though I myself was not, I was, you know, it's, it's, even though I myself was not a mother at that point, I was only a daughter. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about mothers and daughters. It's about, I mean, I think in both books, it's very, like that book is very much about female ambition, sort of like the subjectivity of female ambition. Um, and, um, and I think that was a time when, when female, you know, when mom, when my own ambition sort of was front and center in my mind. And so it makes sense. Um, and I think it's, it's sort of funny because this is like a really uh, like a form follows content kind of thing where it's like, because I was so concerned with my own ambition and like how the book would be received and being taken seriously in this particular way. Like, I think that's why I felt constrained to write this really realist book and write it in this very literary way. Um, in a way that like is not actually true to what I love. And I mean, not to say that I don't also love realism, but like, my own imagination and my own way of thinking is much more genre bending. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's sort of like, I had to sort of let go of like my concern with how I would be received in order to 
like, be true to the way that I actually play and, and, and do it that way. Thank you so much to Yael Goldstein Love for joining the Day Beautiful podcast first taste reading series to read from and briefly discuss her book, The Possibilities. You can find her on the internet at YaelGoldsteinLove.com and on Instagram at YaelGoldsteinLoveWrites. You can find Day Beautiful at DayBeautiful.net and on all social media at DayBeautiful. And as always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful. <laughs>